If ever you, you are around uh, Regent's Hall here during the week, standing just along uh, the road here from our hall is a, is a gentleman. This is not him, but it, it looks like him. That's why I put it up there. It's a gentleman who uh, has got a big scruffy beard, doesn't dress overly smart, but has a Bible in his hand, a placard and a megaphone, and is shouting out the gospel message to anyone who cares to listen to him. This gentleman actually is on one of the streets in Glasgow, in Buchanan Street, but we have our own version here on Oxford Street. I've actually met him a few times. He has a coffee break, and he's a very wise man, he chooses our coffee shop to have his coffee break. And so when he pops in here, we have occasional word. And actually, I've discovered something quite surprisingly about him. He's not at all kind of weird or the sort of hyperventilating Christian that I expected him to be. He's actually quite sane and quite rational. The only thing about him is he fervently believes that God has given him a message which he has to preach. That's the only thing about this gentleman. And it's a great introduction into the person of Obadiah because uh, God has given Obadiah this message and a vision, to be more ex exact, to share with the people. It's not an easy message. It's a very difficult one. But our fourth prophet, Obadiah, has this task, has this challenge, has this commission from God to share the vision and to share the message which God has given to him. The unusual, almost unique thing about this message, not completely unique, but one of the almost unique things about Obadiah, is this message wasn't for God's children. It wasn't for the Jews. It was given to Obadiah whilst he was in Jerusalem and around the 6th century before Christ, but it was a message for a foreign country, for the nation of Edom. This is what verse 1 says. The vision of Obadiah. This is what the sovereign Lord has to say about Edom. Now, as you can see from uh, the map, which you'll see on the screen here just now, Edom lies uh, south of the Dead Sea and southeast of the lands that we normally center on when we're looking at the Bible, the lands of Israel and Judah. This was a time when the nation was split into two separate kingdoms. And Edom was a a neighbouring nation. But not only was it a neighbouring nation, but Edom is even closer to the Jews than that. And to understand that, we need to understand something of the history of Israel and of the Jews. And in order to do that, we need to go back to Abraham. And Abraham, you may remember, was also given a vision that one day he will be the father of a numberless nation. And eventually became the father, first of all to Ishmael, and then eventually to, uh, to Isaac. Now Isaac was the next in the covenanted line. He was the next patriarch. And Isaac himself had twin uh, sons. These twin sons are called Esau and Jacob, in that order. Esau was the eldest, Jacob was the youngest. Jacob and Esau never got on. The Bible actually tells us that they even wrestled within their mother's womb. And they carried on fighting. 
They carried on falling out with each other. And of course, you may remember that Jacob cheated Esau out of his birthright when he went up to his elder father, who's now quite blind, and put um, a sheepskin on his arm so that his father thought he was speaking to the hairy brother, Esau, but instead he was speaking to the youngest son, the smooth person, the smooth operator of Jacob. So uh, Isaac promised the birthright to Jacob. So Jacob becomes the next patriarch and the next in the covenanted line of the Jews. Jacob was an interesting character. He wrestled with Esau, but he wrestled with himself. He wrestled with his parents and he even wrestled with God. So much so that God changed his name. God said, you're no longer going to be called Jacob. You're going to be called Israel. And Israel means wrestler with God. Did you know any Hebrew name that ends with E-L has got God in their name? So Israel, Joel, and of course Emmanuel, God with us. I remember saying this uh, one day and someone after the meeting came up to me and said, I said, I never knew that God was in my name. I said, really? I said, what's your name? He said, Nigel. So can I just emphasize, any Hebrew name ending with E-L as God in their name. So God changed Jacob's name to Israel, which means wrestler with God. God also changed the name of Esau. He said, you're no longer going to be called Esau, you're going to be called Edom. So both brothers had different names. These brothers carried on fighting with each other, and not only that, their descendants carried on fighting each other. Of course, the descendants of Jacob, the descendants of Israel, were the 12 tribes of Israel. They became the nation of Israel. And the descendants of Esau became the nation of Edom. They became neighboring nations, but carried on this acrimonious relationship with each other. They carried on fighting and carried on fighting. Edom, even more so, when Jerusalem, as I said earlier, was invaded by Babylonia, Edom gloated and laughed and ridiculed the Jews. And God took notice of that. God took notice that they gloated over the downfall of their brothers. And God said, one day you will get your comeuppance. That's my word, not a biblical word, but there we are. Now let me just break in here uh, this little history lesson by bringing to you an important teaching point I feel out of Obadiah this morning and that is this, that for us of course being a Christian involves change, we often say we're converted, it involves some kind of change and that change of course involves a, a heart transplant, we have a new heart, God takes away the heart of stone and gives us that heart of God. And when we have the heart of God, that affects us. It affects how we think. It affects how we act, how we behave. And one of the many changes that takes place in the life of Christian is shown here in this message of Obadiah. You see, humanly speaking, like Edom who gloated at the downfall of Jerusalem, we also, if we are honest with ourselves, we do enjoy it when somebody who has wronged us gets their comeuppance. If we're really honest, somebody who really is a bit of an enemy, an enemy of ours, if we see them having a bad time, we think, ah, great. They deserve it. They've got what was coming to them. We often do that because, humanly speaking, that is a natural reaction. But that's not how God thinks, that's not how God acts. So if we 
are to have the heart of God, then our actions and our thinking needs to change increasingly. We need to be more and more like the heart of God. Increasingly, we need to be more and more like Jesus in the way that we give way to our human tendencies and rather we display the heart of God and the actions and behaviour of God. It is, of course, why Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I am telling you this, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. It's also why the Apostle Paul wrote, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. You see, it's a very natural reaction that we want to see the worst outcome on those who have wronged us. But we need to understand that's not displaying the heart of God. If nothing else, if we believe in God, if we believe that there'll be a judgment day, we don't need to judge people. We don't need to give people their comeuppance. God will look after all of that. God in Obadiah is now judging Edom for gloating over its rival nation. And this message from this ancient text is speaking to our hearts today. God is saying to us, he's saying to you and saying to me that, that in our workplace we are not to gloat over those who have wronged us. God will take note of such things. As this broken relationship started with two brothers wrestling with each other, I also need to say that it can happen in our circles as well. In our family circles it can happen. But we're not to have the heart of humanity, but we are to have the heart of God. And if we don't, then God will take notice of such actions. I said, sadly need to say that it can sometimes be true within a church family too, within this family. It can happen. Such behaviour is more of a human heart of revenge rather than from God's heart of love and peace and of forgiveness. We mustn't be looking out for the bad in each other and hoping that God will get his, his comeuppance if someone has, has done something or said something that has hurt us. God will take note if we gloat over such things. To the new church fellowships that were emerging in Asia Minor, the, the Apostle Peter wrote this. Finally, he says, all of you, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil with evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. And that would love the phrase, isn't it? Here's Peter speaking to a church, to people like you and me. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate, but rather pay them back with a blessing. That is what God has called you to do. And he will grant you his blessing, not his curse, in return. So, dear friends, we're not to gloat and seek the worst for each other. It's not right for us as Christians to behave like that, and it's not of God if you justify your actions and thoughts by saying, well, they deserved it. Look what they've done to me. Look what they've done to others. This is the message of Obadiah. This is the message of God, that such behaviour is not of God's heart. And God will take note of such things. 
Proverbs is full of wisdom and good uh, advice. Look at this proverb. Do not gloat when your enemy falls. When they stumble, do not let your heart rejoice. Or the Lord will see, the Lord will take note and see and disapprove and will turn his wrath away from them. Edom was guilty of such actions and behaviour and, and it is a warning that comes down the, through the centuries to us too. It is all there in Obadiah, it's all there in that proverb. If we do gloat over our enemies, the Lord will see and he will take note and he will disapprove. And as we read here in the book of Proverbs, God will actually take his wrath away from them and the inference is that his wrath instead will be face towards us, as it was, of course, for Edom. Edom was earning the wrath and judgment of God because it did not display the heart of God, but rather it displayed the heart of humanity which seeks revenge and looks out for its own interests. I've said uh, before from this platform that as, as human beings, you know, we do carry the seed of Adam, each one of us. You know, we, we come to worship here this morning not because we're perfect, you know, when we hear a message like this, we, we should be sitting there saying, yeah, actually, that's, that, that's me. You know, I've been there, I've done that. Because we're all human. We all carry that seed of Adam. We're all human. We're all flesh and blood. But most of us here this morning believe in God. And we, we've, uh, as the band reminders, we've, we've bowed the knee before God. And we bowed the knee to Jesus. And we've been saved. And and we're endeavouring to live a life of holiness. And in doing so, we've been converted, we've been changed away from that heart of humanity. And rather, we're seeking the heart of God. I mentioned that God changed Esau's name to Edom, and so the nation became known as Edom. And, and in, uh, in Hebrew, uh, the, the nation Edom, Edom is made up of these three Hebrew words. We need four English words for Edom, but we only need three Hebrew letters rather for the word Edom. Interestingly enough, when I looked up the Hebrew word for Adam, the Hebrew word for Adam are the same three letters. Oops, I've got a fallen letter there. That should actually be in the same place as the one above. So actually, the Hebrew word for Adam, Adam, is the same word as the Hebrew word for Adam. They are both the same word in Hebrew. And what really message we're getting here is Edom is full of humanity. Rather than being the heart of God, it represents the heart of humanity, the, which gave birth, of course, to sin, as Adam did, through the disobedience of God. Adam and Eve, if you remember, took that fruit off the tree. And, and in doing so, that was a start of man saying to God, I know best. And instead of obeying God, they obeyed their own human instincts. And so sin came upon Adam and Eve. They were worth their nakedness and their vulnerability before God. That Hebrew word, those three letters there, as well as meaning Edom and meaning Adam, also means humanity. Edom displayed that humanity. It displayed the heart of Adam rather than the heart of God. It displayed sin and disobedience rather than that of mercy and of grace and of forgiveness and of love which emanates from the very heart of God. So let's turn back to the, 
book of Obadiah, and, and, and within it is this judgment against sin of humanity which had fallen upon this nation of Edom. Judgment because of their acts against Judah and Israel, what today we might call anti-Semitism against the Jews. But as is the case with all these prophetical books, this message is not without hope. I want to conclude this message in just a moment uh, with a, a message of hope. But just before I do, I just want to mention one more thing, and that's this. That's God had another issue with the Edomites, and that issue was the issue of pride. Obadiah tells us that Edom's greatest sin was actually pride. If you've ever been to the Dead Sea, and particularly in that region to the south of Dead Sea, it, it's like being on a lunar landscape. It's like nothing else you've seen on earth. It's completely desolate and barren. You would never think of living there. But the Edomites lived on the, the cliffs above all this deserted land, and they elevated themselves above all this, um, what is otherwise a place you would never uh, choose to live. But when the Edomites lived in this elevated place, it almost demonstrated how they themselves are with their hearts. They elevated themselves above any other person. They thought they were above anything and everyone, and even above God and his wrath. Why is it that of all the sins of Edom, God should point out their pride? Here is this verse from Obadiah. You have been deceived... By your own pride, because you live in a rock fortress and make your home high in the mountains. Who can ever reach us up here, you ask boastfully. Why is it then that God judges Edom for this? Why is it that God is so concerned about pride? Well, do you remember this verse in the New Testament book of James? And he gives grace. God gives grace generously. As the scriptures say, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So why is it that throughout Scripture God opposes the proud? Well, it's no, no coincidence that the book of Obadiah opens by declaring the sovereign Lord. And that is complete contrast to pride. The Lord is sovereign. The Lord is all, all in all. But we dethrone God from his rightful place when we are full of pride. When we place ourselves at the centre of our lives. You see, as Christians, we actually die to that self. We die to pride. We die to everything that is me. So that Christ might have this supremacy, as Paul says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 8. Part of becoming a, a, new, a Christian is part of becoming a new person. We, we die to self. We die to humanity. It's no longer about me, me, me. But as a Christian, we live for Christ and for Christ alone. And if Jesus truly is at the center of our lives, there can be no room for pride. And that was Edom's problem. Edom was a proud and arrogant nation that gave no place to God. And God had taken note, and his judgment was upon them. And Edom was about to get its comeuppance. Look at this verse, or verses rather. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be destroyed forever. There will be no survivors from Esau. And you know that prophecy, even though Edom was a mighty nation, that prophecy became true. The Babylonians also, 
uh, got to the Edomites, so did the Persians, so did the Maccabees, and eventually Rome in AD 70 completely wiped Edom off the map and con con consigned Edom to the history books. And so here's a warning for us too, that pride can fill us with humanity rather than having a heart for God. Pride can kill and destroy our spirits. Pride can dethrone God from our lives. And we need to pray a really big prayer that God will give us his heart, that God will become sovereign, not in a song that we sing, but in the lives, in our heart, within each one of us. We, each one of us, need to ask God to place himself at the center of our very human being. As Paul exclaimed when he was in Athens, uh, from Mars Hill, he, he said to, to the people of Athens, in him, in God, we live and we move and we have our being. There's no place for me, there's no place for pride, there's no place for arrogance, there's no place for humanity. As a Christian, I have exalted Christ in my life and he is my all in all. This is a, it's a message for Lent. It's a message of self-denial. It's the message of God to each one of us. It was the message that Paul gave to the church at Galatia. I have been crucified, says Paul. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I that live, but it's Christ that lives his sovereign life in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, says Paul. And I just want to finish now very briefly, as I promised, with a, a message of hope that the kingdom will be the Lord's. The last verse, the last verse of Obadiah says, the kingdom will be the Lord's. And that's it, isn't it? And all is said and done, thine is the kingdom. And this message of Obadiah is really quite interesting because whilst it's on the surface it's full of of, of, of judgment and full of, of angst against the Edomites it's also a full, of, full of hope and it points the way to the coming of the Messiah and of course to the second coming when the, the Messiah will come again this time not as the Lamb of God in, in, in the sense of born in a, uh, as a servant but this time will come a King of Kings and of Lords and Lords but as we are in the time of Lent, you know, this, this message does point to the ultimate sacrifice of the Lamb of God who will take away our sin. And Jesus will selflessly give his life on a Roman cross so that God's kingdom will come and ultimately we can be victorious. Now, after a message like this, we might all want a placard and a megaphone and go and preach to Oxford Streets. If you do, I'll come and watch you with eagerness. But in all seriousness, we might all not be those kind of people who will do that. But what happened on that Black Friday when Jesus was crucified was the start of a new bright beginning, an end to a humanity that separates us from God, and a start of a new relationship which demonstrates the supremacy of Christ as we put him at the centre of our being. The message of Obadiah is not a bad message. His name almost seems to say that, didn't it? Obadiah was an all bad message to Edom. 
But actually, it's a message that's full of hope and full of promise. And through this message of judgment comes the gospel message of hope. And it's one that we can take out of here with us here this morning. That the hope of Christ is within us. That the heart of God is the center of each one of us. And his kingdom through us shall come. Amen. Amen.